We're going to be in Romans, start in Romans chapter 1 this morning. But let me say this before we start. We are skeptical people. Uh, we have so much information available to us today uh, that we're really skeptical about it. If you talk to people about politicians, I don't know how many times during these last elections I heard somebody say, I don't believe what any of them say anymore. And that's kind of a common feeling. And it reflected itself, I think, in the, in the election. <clears throat> but we have conspiracy theories that abound where, you know, what we've been told, we don't believe, and we have all these theories about why they're not true and why those things didn't happen. And then when it comes to your health issues, one day they tell you one thing and the next day they tell you something else. And so you can end up being really skeptical. And I think it's probably true of us that as a generation we are skeptical. Uh, we don't easily believe <clears throat> read recently about a, uh, uh, John Maxwell, he's a writer, uh, but he, went to, he bought a jacket in a store in America, it's called Nordstrom's, and apparently Nordstrom's have this uh, guarantee that uh, if you're not satisfied with what you buy there, they will uh, replace it for you free of charge. You do, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lifetime guarantee that you have on your clothing, right? So he bought a jacket in there, and after he'd worn the jacket for a few months, he realized he really didn't like the jacket. And one of the problems about it was that it gathered lint, right? So every time he looked at it, it was, it was... And so he put it away, and he put it away for a year. So he owns this jacket for 18 months, and every now and again, uh, the thought would come to his mind that, you know what, they promised they would replace it for any reason if I don't like it. So finally, he decides to test out this guarantee. <clears throat> and he, he goes to the shop, and he has his prepared little speech uh, before he actually uh, goes in, because he feels like he's pulling off a scam. Now, you ever do that? Uh, you're doing something that's really not wrong, but you feel like you're pulling off a scam cause it's <coughs> because uh, the, the, the promise is there. So he goes into the shop, and he, and he decides he's going to be perfectly honest about it. Uh, so he goes in, he uh, walks in, he finds the first um, assistant that can help him, and he says to the guy, he says, okay, I, I bought a jacket off you 18 months ago, and I don't like the jacket and it gathers lint uh, like nobody's business, and you promise that you'll replace it, uh, <clears throat> that you have an absolute lifetime guarantee on it, and you'll replace it, and he sits and he waits, expecting to be laughed at, right? <clears throat> and then he says, I couldn't believe it. This guy with a big handlebar mustache just looked at me and shook his head. He said, for heaven's sake, what took you so long? Let's go find you a blazer, right? Now, that kind of story surprises me. By the way, I told my wife that last night, and she said she wants to go and buy a jacket in Nordstrom's. That's, that's not the purpose of it. This is not an advertisement for Nordstrom's, right? Uh, the purpose of it is you know, that doesn't happen. We don't see that kind of thing happen. We don't even expect that kind of thing uh, to happen. Uh, we expect to be lied to. We expect uh, not to be told the truth. And then it comes to the resurrection. And here we come on resurrection morn, and we're asked to believe that Jesus died, that he was buried. But on that first Easter Sunday morning, the, roll, the stone rolled away and he walked out as alive as ever he had been. Uh, <clears throat> we're asked to believe that. Now, that's kind of hard for us. I'm going to tell you why I believe that in a second. But, <clears throat> but let me say this. If we don't believe that, we have nothing. We have absolutely nothing. Paul said this, he said, if Christ be not risen, then we are of all men most miserable. What we're talking about this morning is the cornerstone, the center of our faith. And to a skeptical people in a skeptical age, 
it's easy for us to doubt. But if we can come to the place where we actually trust that God did what he said he would do, and by the way, it's not, it's not an unreasonable trust. I think there's lots of reasons for us to, uh, to trust. If we can come to the place where we actually believe what God said he did, you know what? Doors open in our lives. Doors open eternally. Let me tell you why I believe it. And this is just what I, why I believe uh, the story of the resurrection. First of all, I believe it because I believe the Bible. Now, I have had opportunity to study the Bible, probably more than most people in this room. I, and you know what? I'm absolutely persuaded that it's true. You say, well, I haven't had that opportunity. You know what? If you will test it out, if you will take the Scripture and actually begin to read it and study it and look at it, you'll be amazed at what happened. Because the Bible says this, that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You see, it's a living Word. People won't convince you, but the Word of God will convince you. Uh, because it can actually get in there. It says it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That the Bible actually reads you when you read it. It will read you and it will, it will take away your doubts as you read. Read it. Read the story. <clears throat> I believe it though because the Word of God says. I also believe it for this reason. Here we are 2,000 years later and all over this world today. There are going to be people meeting in churches like this and celebrating the fact that Christ rose from the dead. Now, how do you do that? How do you get something like that to happen? You know, it's, it would have been simple to debunk it in those early days. All they had to do was produce the body. Produce the body, put, put Jesus on display and say, he did not rise from the dead, there he is. And there were many people that were very interested in producing that body, but you know what? It couldn't be produced because it wasn't there. He rose from the dead. Even the guards that were put on the tomb, I mean, their lives were on the line for the fact that Jesus uh, had escaped or been removed or something. Their lives were on the line for it. Uh, they, uh, you know, but they couldn't stop it. He wasn't there. They couldn't say where he went. He, he, he wasn't there. The, the third reason I believe it is because of this, the testimony of the apostles. Do you know that all but John of those apostles died martyrs' deaths? Now, here's, here's why they died. They died basically because they wouldn't give up the belief that Jesus rose from the dead. If any one of them had been willing with their last breath to say, look, we made it up. It was never happened. We just made it up. He was an ordinary guy. They wouldn't have had to die. Now, men will die for something they believe in. The rare man will die for something he believes in. But nobody is going to die for what they know to be a lie. They're just not going to do that. These men believed. You know why they believed? Because they'd seen him. Because they'd touched him. Because they'd ate fish from his hand. They believed. They, 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 they were assured. And they're not the only ones. He appeared to above 500 people, First Corinthians tells us. You know, <clears throat> when Jesus rose from the dead, it wasn't something that was hidden in a corner and kind of, kind of, you know, the story kind of tumbled out months later. Yes, somebody said that he rose from the dead. No, it, it was instantly known. Everybody was confused. Uh, the disciples on the Emmaus Road, they're confused. They've, they've heard the story and, and um, <clears throat> they, they don't know what to make, it, make of it. And Jesus goes through the scripture and shows them as they go through the scripture all the facts that pertain to him. Uh, <clears throat> the fact that he rose. So <clears throat> the testimony of the apostles, you know, that's kind of hard to overcome. But then there's a third one, a fourth one rather. 
And the fourth one is this. I've seen lives get changed when they believe on this truth. I've seen lives get turned around completely when they come to the place where they believe on this truth. You see, Jesus is not a dead savior. It bothers me so much when I see a crucifix with Jesus on the cross. He's not on the cross. He was on the cross for a short time, but you know what? They put him in the tomb and they couldn't keep him in the tomb. He walked out of the tomb and he's never gone on the cross again since. It was a once for all sacrifice. He never needs to do it again because he rose from the dead. And you know, when you believe on that truth, it changes your life. It changes your life because you know what? He is alive. That's what we're singing about. That's what we're talking about today. He's alive. He's not a dead savior. You know, you can go through all the world religions and, you know, we can talk about uh, the, the merits of each one and the merits of each of the leaders. But you know what? Universally, they're all dead. They're all dead. We're looking at dead leaders. Jesus is not dead. Jesus is alive. Jesus reigns on high. He is alive and he will never die. And because he lives and will never die, I will never die either. That's glorious, wonderful truth. Uh, We're going to read Romans just 1, 2, and 3. Sorry, Romans 1, verse 3 and 4. And then we'll pray. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's on uh, on the screen there for you. Concerning our son, Jesus Christ, our Lord which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the power of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Now, what Paul is telling us there is he was saying, listen, Jesus didn't become the Son of God when he rose from the dead. He was declared to be the Son of God. It was the proof that he was the Son of God. So we're going to see, he said a lot of things in his lifetime, right, that didn't count if he couldn't do this one. If he didn't rise from the dead, you know what? All the rest of what he said was in doubt. Might have been nice stuff, might have been helpful stuff, but it was all in doubt. But if he rose from the dead, then he proved that all he had to say was true. And so Paul puts it this way, he was declared to be the son of God. What God said was, look, he is my son. He is your God in that moment when he rose from the dead. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this people that have gathered. Now, Lord, would you bless us as we look to your word, Lord. Uh, Lord, thank you for a Savior that paid the price for sin. But, uh, Lord, we're we're looking to you now, Lord, uh, to bless us in these moments and to draw us close to you. Lord, for those this morning that would not know you as Savior, blessed Spirit of the living God, it's your work to convince hearts, not ours. Lord, would you do that work? Would you convince them of the reality and the truth uh, of the fact that you are the Savior and that they need you? And Lord, would you draw them in? And Lord, for your children, Lord. Uh, Lord, the world can make us skeptical too. Blessed Spirit of the living God, would you sweep in and show us that your power is greater than any power the world has and that no matter what's going on in our world, that we can trust you and depend upon you for you are indeed God. Now bless, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So the resurrection proved uh, that he was who he said he was. He was the Son of God. End of story. He was the Son of God. It doesn't leave it open for uh, question. It doesn't leave uh, <clears throat> us to doubt 
it, it, it declared, it proved that he was who he said he was. Matthew 16, verse 21, uh, From that time forth Jesus began to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Now, so basically, from the time in Matthew chapter 16, Peter recognizes him as being the Messiah, as being the Christ, uh, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus begins to talk to them about the church. And then he begins to tell them this. This is the first time he's begun to tell them this. But he tells them that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things and be killed and raised again the third day. Right Now, here's what happened for the disciples who went right over their heads. They didn't get it. They never caught this at all. They never, they never understood what he was saying. And to be honest with you, it was kind of unthinkable to them uh, that Jesus could be pinned down by anybody and could be killed in the first place. And if he couldn't be killed and he wasn't going to be killed, a resurrection didn't come into play at all because you don't need to be resurrected if you hadn't died. So they didn't get it at all. They missed it at all. But Jesus said it. And notice that he began to teach them. He taught them many times that this was going to happen. He, he laid this, so much so that although the disciples didn't get it, the Pharisees did. Because when they crucified Jesus, they went uh, to Pilate. They said, now listen, he said he would rise again the third day, so we need you to put a guard uh, on the tomb in case his disciples come and steal uh, the body. <clears throat> so, so the teaching was so clear. So he, he, here's the thing. The disciples weren't really understanding that he was going to die. They weren't catching that. But <clears throat> Jesus had taught so, so strongly on it that even the Pharisees knew it. Now, here was the thing. If he didn't rise from the dead, you know what? Then he was a liar. Now, the Pharisees fully expected that he wouldn't. When they put a guard on the tomb, they weren't, they weren't looking to guard the tomb from something happening from within. They were looking to guard the tomb from something that was, would happen from without because they were convinced he was a charlatan, that he was, you know, that he, that he was an imposter, that he just was not who he said he was. That's why they crucified him. They crucified him because uh, he was an imposter. So the... <clears throat> When Jesus rose from the dead, it was a critical issue as to who he was. It was a critical issue as to his message. It was critical as to his life that he actually raised from the dead. So that when we celebrate the resurrection on, on Easter Sunday morning, what we're doing is we're saying, yes, he rose. He was who he said he was. And what that does is that takes, and we can, we can take that truth and we can actually Trace many promises through the scripture that apply to us because he rose from the dead. <clears throat> first thing we, 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 first conclusion we come to is that Jesus was fully God. Right? He wasn't, he didn't become God. Right? He, he, he wasn't, you know, a secondary God. He was fully God. Let, let me look at what he said in the scriptures. You see, if, if he rose from the dead, all these things are true, right? <clears throat> John 8, 58, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, isn't that awkward? Isn't that, you know, we're used to reading it, so perhaps it doesn't strike us as being awkward, but isn't that an awkward way? If I was to stand up here this morning to you and say to you, I am, you'd go, oh man, he's got a problem. Of course we know he's there, we, we, we see him. So when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. He's doing two things, right? First of all, he's saying he was around when Abraham was around, thousands of years beforehand. And if he said before Abraham was, before Abraham was, I was, you know, that would be still ridiculous to them, but it would be understandable. But he says before Abraham was, I am. 
Now, what's he doing there? Well, he's taking the name of God that God gave Moses in uh, Exodus chapter 3. When Moses went, he said, who do I say sent me? And God said, I am that I am. And you know what? That was the name of God. Because he doesn't need to define himself. He doesn't need to say what he is. He just is. God is. Now, just so that we understand this, in the next verse, it says that the Jews, they took up stones to cast at him. Why? Because they understood what perhaps we don't so easily understand. What Jesus was saying is, I am God. I am God. And they were going to stone him because that's blasphemy. And he passed out of their midst. He wasn't ready, for, he wasn't ready to die yet. And um, they weren't going to catch him until he was. At John 10.30, he says, I and my Father are one. Now, again, that kind of sounds ridiculous. How can you be one with somebody else? Uh, again, if I were to say that to you, you'd say, okay, that, that, that's a bit strange. Uh, but when Jesus said, I and my Father are one, he meant we are one. We are one person. We are one being. And the next verse, verse 31, they took up stones to stone him again. They were going to stone him because they knew what he was doing. You see, when he was speaking the language of the people around him, they knew what he was talking about. They knew what he was saying. He was saying that he was God. Um, Matthew 26, verse 63. uh, But Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Now, here's what's happening at the trial uh, amongst the, the Pharisees and the, and the high priests. They, they, they're throwing things at him, and he's, he's not answering them. He refuses to respond. He refuses to dignify their kangaroo court with answers because they're not going to let him go. They're not interested in letting him go. So he refuses to dignify any of that. But <clears throat> the high priest adjures him by the living God. In the name of God, we ask you, will you tell us whether you be the Christ, the Son of God, or not? And then he answers them, right? And his answer is, Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, nevertheless I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Right? And he says to him, You've said it, but you know what? You're going to see me coming in clouds. You know what they took, they, they, they took him to mean? He was saying he was the Son of God. And they said, What have we need of further witness? You've heard his blasphemy, crucify him. And they crucified him on the basis of the fact that he said he was God. Now, the problem with the whole situation is it wasn't blasphemy. It was true. He was God. Now, you're going to find so many religions in our day that will go along with most of what the Bible says. You're going to find people that will tell you, well, Jesus was a prophet. You're going to find people that will tell you Jesus was a good man. He was a great teacher. You're going to find uh, people that will, will tell you that Jesus was kind of a, minor, a lesser God. But you know what? The scripture doesn't leave that open to us. Either Jesus was fully God, or as C.S. Lewis said, that he was a lunatic. Uh, he, he can't be not God or, or something else, because he said he was. Again and again, and when we look at some of the verses there, he said he was God. So based upon the resurrection, we can be assured this morning that the man that walked through Galilee and Nazareth and Jerusalem around 2,000 years ago was the Son of God, the Messiah. He was fully God. That's a glorious truth. 
We need to take that in and understand that he was fully God. There was, <clears throat> there was nothing lacking in him at all. He was fully God. Now, second thought is this. The resurrection proved that he could save. The resurrection proved that Jesus could save. John 3.36 says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son of God shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Now, we could ask you this morning, why did Jesus come? And we'd have a whole bunch of different reasons why he came. We'd go out in the streets this morning, Easter Sunday morning, and we could ask people, why did Jesus come? They'd give us a whole other bunch of reasons why he came. But do you know that Jesus told us why he came? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's what he did. John 19. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Listen, he did a whole bunch of things when he was here on this earth. But he came for a purpose. He had a central mission. He had a focus. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, what does it mean to be lost? Well, John 3.36 is telling us uh, that there was a... if we believe on the Son of God, we have life. But if we don't believe, the wrath of God abideth on us. Now, <clears throat> that's a strong word, isn't it? Wrath. I mean, I, I'm not perfect, but you know what? I don't know that in my mind I've ever done anything that's earned me the wrath of God. That's because, you see, humanly speaking, I don't understand what it is that upsets God. Sin upsets God. Sin upsets God in ways that we can't imagine it upsets God. You see, common definition of sin in our day and age is this. <clears throat> I hurt somebody. That's sin. Right? And <clears throat> when you ask people, have they ever sinned? Oftentimes they will say that to you. Well, I've never hurt anybody. Now, it's probably not true for most people because we've all hurt each other. Uh, <clears throat> but it just shows their definition of sin is on a human level. You know, I didn't hurt somebody, so therefore, it's not a problem. Sin is not about hurting people primarily. Sin, by its nature, will always hurt people, but it's not primarily about hurting people. Sin is about being an offense to God. Sin is like an alien invasion in his universe that brings sickness and suffering and death, and he hates it. We, we, We have no idea, no understanding of how much he hates it. Now you say, but I thought he loves us. He does love us. But he hates sin. In fact, he can't have anything to do with sin. The Bible says he's of purer eyes than to look upon sin. Do you ever have something so odious and horrible that you couldn't even look at it? That's what he's talking about. God sees sin as being something so awful, he doesn't even want to look at it. God sees sin as something that he just can't be around. You know, when God sends man to hell, and in a sense God doesn't send man to hell, man man goes to hell over the broken body of Jesus Christ. But when man goes to hell, it's because God can't have sin around him. He He just can't have it around him at all. See, he loves mankind, but he can't have sin around him at all. And it says that he that believeth on the Son... Believeth not, the Son shall not see life. You're not going to see life if you don't believe on the Son. Look at the story of the resurrection. And by the way, when it comes to believing on the Son, the story of the resurrection is implicit. It's part of it. 
Jesus says, if you don't believe on that, then <clears throat> you won't see like the wrath of God abideth on you. Uh, look at John 5, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Now, that word condemnation is another hard word. That's another tough word. That's, that's what happens when somebody uh, is tried for a crime and they are condemned to death. It's, it's a hard word. It's not a word we would associate with God. It's not a word that we want to think of in terms of God. And yet, uh, it's the word God uses here. Right? <clears throat> that because of sin, man comes into condemnation. Condemned to what? Condemned to death and condemned to hell. Everybody that's ever walked on the earth apart from Jesus Christ has come into this world with the condemnation over their head because of sin. Sin is in us and we choose it. It's just the way we are. We have earned by our sin the penalty of death. We have earned by our sin the penalty of, penalty of hell. We're condemned by our sin. We won't see life because of our sin. Now you say, Pastor, I could have waited a long time to hear the message you're bringing this morning. Well, well let me give you the good news, because the gospel is good news. The good news is that what Jesus was doing on the cross is he was paying for your sin. What Jesus was doing on that cross, because he had no sin, he was paying for your sin. I read a story recently <clears throat> about a father and a son who were uh, driving in the summertime and a bee flew in the window of the car. You know the way it does. And, but the problem in this family was that the boy was uh, deathly allergic uh, to the sting of a bee. And so the kid is terrified. Right? <clears throat> and um, so dad reaches out and catches the bee in his hand. And then a few seconds, seconds later, he lets the bee go. And the son gets terrified again. And he says, son, there's nothing to worry about. And he shows him his hand. And the stinger from the bee is in his hand. And what dad had done was, dad had taken the sting of the bee so that it wouldn't affect the son. He had taken the sting himself. Do you know that Jesus took the sting of death so that you wouldn't have to? That Jesus took the price of your sin. Do, do you want to know what God thinks about sin? There's, there's only one way you're really going to understand what God thinks about sin. You have to look at Jesus on the cross. God does not think sin is just, you know, it's just the way it is. Isn't that what we think? Well, nobody's perfect, and we all get it wrong, and, you know, <clears throat> don't make such a big deal out of it, you know. No, Jesus came and paid the price for sin on the cross because that was the only way. There was no other way. There was no other way to pay for sin. There was no other way that the sting could be absorbed for us. You see, what Jesus took on the cross is what I deserve. What Jesus took on the cross is what you deserve. He paid the price. That's the good news. He paid the price so that you don't have to. And he says, if you will believe that and trust that, you can pass from death to life. You can be born again. You can become his child. You can have your sin washed away and, and, and have it dealt with. It's not by you living good. You'll never live good enough for heaven. It's impossible. It's by you coming to the place where you recognize, you know what? He died for my sin. 
But he paid the price for my sin. And God says, he'll save me if I call upon him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you know you could come into this church this morning with the condemnation of death and hell on you, and you could walk out of this church this morning having passed from death unto life. You say, that's too simple. No, it's not simple at all. It meant the cross. It meant Jesus dying and being buried and being raised again. Nothing simple about that. It is simple for us, though. If we will believe, then he will do it. And that's when miracles happen in your life. And that just opens the door of your life to more miracles. Third thought is resurrection proves that a new relationship with God is possible. Sometimes we stop very far short in our understanding of salvation. Right? The sting is gone. Um, the penalty is over. I don't have to pay it. I'm just going to get on with my life now. And we, we fail to understand that God was not simply giving me fire insurance. God wanted to draw me back to himself. God wants a relationship with me. That God sent Jesus to die on the cross so that he and I could have a relationship. A sweet, close relationship. In John chapter 14, <clears throat> this is uh, the night before the crucifixion, right? <clears throat> and in John chapter 14, uh, Jesus is with the disciples and they're uh, in that upper room and they're having that final supper. And you have to feel for the disciples because they don't know what's going on. They don't understand. They don't, they don't really get it. You know, <clears throat> um, uh, it's supper. And they, they really, they, they, they can't compute the fact that Jesus is going to die. So I, I, I think they just didn't even try. Right? But they're in that upper room. And in, in, in John 13, 14, 15, and 16, there's this close, intimate conversation. He's preparing them for his death. He's getting them ready for the fact that he's going to die. And in, in John chapter 14, uh, Judas, not Iscariot, asks him a question. He says, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Right? Now, the, the, the word manifest means to show. Right? <clears throat> how are you going to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus gives him an amazing answer in verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Now, making your abode with somebody means living with them. It means moving in with them. Now, we don't have time to go through all of John chapter 14, but there's great truths uh, that come out of those chapters as you look at that. But you know what, God, what, what Jesus said? He said <clears throat> that if you love him and if you keep his words, that he and the Father will come and make their abode with you. Now, you say, hang on a minute, what would that be like? First of all, if you're not saved this morning, you wouldn't be very comfortable with that, would you? You don't want the Lord looking over your shoulder and uh, seeing everything you're doing. He does anyway, but you, you don't feel comfortable with that. But if you're saved this morning, what would that mean to you? What would that mean to you that he comes and he makes his abode with you? Well, well let me just give you quickly four points, right? First of all, it would mean that you live in the sense of his presence and his love. Now, you know what you and I want? One of the things we want, we want to be loved. We all do. Universal. You can take a baby, you can feed a baby the best food, but if you deprive the baby of love and the touch of human beings, the baby will die. God made babies very cute so that we would love them a lot. 
Because they need a lot of love. And you, 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 do you know we're the same? You can remove yourself and you can go off to a place where nobody bothers you and nobody annoys you and you can be on your own and you could have everything and you would wither up and die. Because you know what? You need interaction. You need love. The only problem for us is this world's a hard place to find love. Because you know what? Everybody else in this world is looking for love too. And everybody else wants somebody to love them and accept them. And you know what? There just isn't enough love to go around. Everybody's looking for it. But you know what? When Jesus comes in to dwell, Ephesians chapter 1 says, you are accepted in the beloved. Isn't that beautiful? Accepted in the beloved. He takes you into the inner circle and you're in with him. You're accepted in the beloved. Do you know your need for love is answered in this person? And here's what happens. Your need for love is answered in this person. And because your need for love is answered in him, you've got love to give. That's God's plan. But one of the things you get when you get saved is you get that acceptance. And by the way, if you're, in, if you're a believer this morning and you're not sensing that acceptance, there's a problem. And the problem is called sin. Sin stands between us. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you, but you know what? You're not going to feel it when there's sin between you and him. Deal with the sin. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Deal with it. Get rid of it. Don't let it stand between you and him. Second thing he gives us is he gives us provision. We live in uncertain times, don't we? You know what? Uh, You don't know how long your job is going to last. Several of you this morning are looking for jobs because you know what? Uh, You didn't expect it maybe, but your job is just gone. We live in uncertain times. We live in times when, you know, they're telling us of financial crashes and everything else. And, and we're, you know, we've got terrorism and we've got all these things going on. And it's very easy for us to get in a place where we're hopeless and we feel defeated and we feel like, you know what, uh, we're all going to die and there's no hope for it and anything else. But you know what? God gives you a wonderful promise in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. In other words, seek me first and my righteousness and I will take care of you. Isn't that wonderful? You can have the promise of him taking care of you. You can go to bed at night not based upon what's in the bank. Don't you, don't, don't you pity those people who look at what's in the bank and they're either up or they're low. Uh, you know, they're, they're happy or they're sad based on uh, what they can actually see and what they can have. You can go to bed at night with peace in your heart because he's taking care of me. You know what? We want to be loved and we want to be taken care of. And he does both. He does both in our lives. Then number three, he gives us power to live for him. You see, you might come this morning and you might, you might say, as many of us did when we came to the point where we began to look at Jesus, I could never be that good. I, I could never do it. I could never live this Christian life thing. I just couldn't do it. I know me. I know my, <clears throat> my problems. I know my issues. I know how I like my own way. And, you know, that's true for all of us. That's true for every one of us. But you know what? When Jesus died on the cross, he did several things. One of the things he did was he broke the power of sin. Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law but under grace. You know what? Sin no longer holds you in its power after you're saved. There's a new power comes in. 
And every one of you that are saved here can, 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 can testify, I think, to a point in time where there was something that was a problem in your life, and after you got saved, miraculously it was gone. I've known several people that have walked away from, uh, you know, sins that have dominated their lives. The moment they got saved, they walked away from it. Why? Because you know what? Jesus breaks the power of sin. And you may be looking at the cross from the wrong side and thinking, I could never attain unto it. You don't need to attain unto it. If you will actually believe on it, what will happen is you will find that he works it out in you. That he can actually take and do the work in you. It's glorious. Right? <clears throat> But there's a power to live for him. And then, and this I think is the sweetest for me. There's a purpose. There's a purpose. You know, you look at the things that are happening in our world and the terrorism. And it works. It, it, it does terrify us, doesn't it? But did you ever think of what might has to be going on in somebody's mind for them to walk in with a bomb and press the button knowing that they're going to blow themselves and the people around them, the smithereens. That's a pretty hopeless place to be. You know what their cause? Their cause is anger and hatred and terror and destruction, and they want to go to a God who believes in all that stuff. That's, that's a tragedy. That's their purpose. Now, I know we're justifiably outraged, but there's a hidden tragedy in it all, isn't there? There's a people who, have, who believe in that kind of stuff. But you know, when you become a believer, you've got a purpose in life that's much greater than any of that. Jesus told a story once. <clears throat> he told a story, it was a parable, uh, about a man <clears throat> who was a, uh, a pearl merchant. This guy was an expert in pearls. You know, he could size up a pearl, state its value, and buy it. And he lived his whole life buying up goodly pearls. That, that was what counted to him. That was, that was what was treasure to him. That was what was the blessing in his life. And one day he came across a pearl. And this pearl was so beautiful, was so perfect, was so magnificent that he went home and he sold all the rest of his pearls, everything else of value to him, so that he could have this one pearl, this pearl of great price. <clears throat> Nothing else was valuable by comparison to it. He got rid of all of it. Do you know that when you get Jesus, that's what you get? You get the pearl of great price. You get the one who is worth living for. You get the life that is worth living. Don't ever think that your Christianity is something that you have to endure. You got it wrong. You got it messed up in your head. You've got it all. Jesus died on the cross. He rose again to pay the price for your sin. He broke the penalty of sin. And he's given you himself. And maybe this morning on resurrection morning for some of us, that's what we need to do. We need to say, you know what? That's what I got. That's what I have. I have the pearl of great price. Maybe this morning you're saved and you're still living one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom and you're thinking, <clears throat> you know what, uh, this doesn't work. And you know what, you're right. The most miserable people in the world are half-baked Christians. Uh, doesn't work. It's not fun. It's miserable. 
Uh, you need to say this morning, Lord, Lord, you're it. You're what I want. I'm putting the rest of it aside. I'm selling out the rest of the stuff because I want you. And you know what? He's the only one that can satisfy him. But maybe this morning on this Easter Sunday morning, you're in the place where you're looking at your life and you're at the other side of the cross. Let me just rehearse the words for you again. Wrath and condemnation. Jesus didn't use those words lightly. Those are important words. You say, well, I haven't done anything. Obviously, you and him disagree. You say, well, I'm not that bad. Again, obviously, you and him disagree. Because he says you're condemned and you've got wrath. But he also says, I sent my son to take your condemnation and to take your wrath. And if you will trust in me, I will take it away and make you my child. Now, isn't that the best gift you were ever offered? There's never going to be a Christmas morning where you get offered a better gift. There's never going to be anybody who's going to offer you a relationship like this. There's nothing more that you could have apart from this. And if you don't have this, you could have the world and you have nothing. Oh, listen, if you're not saved this morning, make today your day. Make Resurrection Morn 2016 the day you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Make it the day where you come to him and you just rest in him. You say, <clears throat> but uh, I'm not sure. You know what? There's a whole bunch of stuff I wasn't sure of when I got saved, but I was sure I was a sinner and I needed a Savior. And I cried out to him. And you know what? He's made me sure of a whole lot of stuff since then. You don't need to be sure of all of it. You don't need to know the Scripture back to front. You just need to come. He's knocking. You need to come. You need to say, Lord... I need you. I want you. <clears throat> the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you, this morning, would call upon his name, he would save. He always does. Don't miss the opportunity. Don't miss the opportunity to be saved. Don't miss the opportunity to get right. That's all stand. <clears throat> I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have the piano play. And as God has dealt with your heart, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do business with him. Father in heaven, Thank you, Lord, for this morning, and thank you for your people. Thank you for drawing them out to this place. Thank you for working in hearts and lives. Thank you for the sense of your presence. Now, blessed Spirit of the living God, the work is yours. Would you work in our hearts, Lord, where there's something amiss with your children? Oh, Lord, would you point it out? And, Lord, we're dull of hearing sometimes. Would you be very clear with us? Show us what it is that it might be dealt with. And, Lord, for that one this morning that does not know you as Savior, Oh, blessed Spirit of the living God, may today be the day when they come to rest in you. When today, may today be the day, Lord, when they come to trusting in you for the great gift of salvation. If, if you're not saved this morning, just in, in the next few minutes between you and God, would you cry out to him and ask him to save you? Just tell him you're, you're a sinner and you know you are and you deserve hell. But you know that Jesus died for you and you're trusting what he did. If you would call out to him, he would do it. If you're a believer and there's some business you need to do with God, just do it. You want to come forward, come forward. You want to do it right where you are, do it right where you are. But don't let the moment pass. Do business with God.